Thank you, Tim, for that prayer of supplication. And I um, say something that I know is probably um, obvious to all of you on a regular basis, and that is um, I am very humbled and very grateful and thankful to the Lord for my um, godly Christian son and the fact that he lives the life of a godly husband and father. And I'm proud of him and proud of my godly daughter who is also here today. I'm proud of both of my children and grandchildren. I'm honored to be called dad. I'm honored to be called poppy. And uh, from all my grandchildren. And, um, and I appreciate the privilege of being able to serve the Lord alongside of Tim. I don't take that for granted in, in his help in this church. Um, you know, I appreciate the fact that Tim in his prayer drew attention to as, as in the worship God in our prayer for the missionaries of the week drawing attention to the fact that there were um, a, a, a number I, I don't remember Wendy maybe you can 20 some um, young uh, godly uh, I get choked up when I think about it but these young people who young adults some just couples some with their young families standing before that convention of fellow believers, fellow Baptists, and giving their testimonies of how God has worked in their lives and how the Lord is calling them all over the world to leave behind family and jobs and familiar surroundings and comfort to take the good news of the gospel into very dark, parts of the world as our international missionaries and some of them had to be silhouetted even as they talked to the audience because they, their identity couldn't be revealed because they're going into areas that are probably predominantly Muslim or so secular and anti-Christian that they would endanger themselves and their families and yet boldly they stood before us and, and announced their love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the great conviction on their heart to go at whatever cost that some may hear the good news. I'm going to tell you something. That I've always said a commissioning ceremony and we participated in that. We were commissioning them as a body. And that is probably one of the most moving experiences for me as a Southern Baptist is to be there. And I've never been so proud of a group of people as I was those individuals and those couples and families. And I know we need to pray for them. We need to hold them and all of our international missionaries up with great, great uh, love and concern and prayer. So, thank you for making reference to that. And, uh, and let's continue to be praying for them. This morning, as I was going about my activities and getting ready to come in here and, and, and get everything situated and set up and unlocked and turned on and get the day started, the Lord was dealing with my heart. I had worked hard over the past couple of weeks, particularly the last few days, in preparing my message from the Gospel of Luke 
But in, incessantly, it seemed like the Lord's Spirit kept impressing upon my heart. Uh, tell them. Tell them. Jan sitting back there with a look of horror on her face. I, I'm not confessing any deep, dark sin. But, but I felt that the Lord was saying to me, Charlie, you're a father. You're, you're blessed to be a Christian father and a Christian grandfather. Tell them. And, and, and I think God was intending, is intending for me to speak to the hearts of the men here today. What I share will be beneficial, I trust, to my sisters as well. But there are some things that, as I have learned in walking with God and, and, and engaging in this very challenging call of being a Christian dad and granddad, that I feel like I want to pass along in this brief message to those of you who are fathers, grandfathers, fathers-to-be, but then also all the men of our church because you are essential. Not that the ladies aren't, but the Scripture makes a bold declaration of the essential role of the man in the home, in the marriage, in the home, and in the life of the church. And you know, as a pastor and as a former social worker, I have seen, I have seen the, the plague of the absence of godly men in homes and subsequently in churches. And, and folks, you don't have to be a sociologist or a government official to know that this horrible plague that has been so craftily promoted by our adversary where godly men are suddenly absent in marriages and in homes and in our culture and in churches today, it has taken a devastating toll on our country. The deterioration of our society to a large degree can be attributed to the fact that in so many situations you find homes where there is the absence, there is not a man who knows the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And I want to say to, to the dads particularly, granddads, but all the men, one of the things that I would pass along, and, and, and you'll hear me say this, I'm, I'm not making all my reference out of my own personal experience. You'll, you'll hear me speak of my father. There in a little country church in rural North Carolina, about five miles from the Virginia border, about this time right now, or maybe a little bit earlier, preacher Wheeler will say, who's the oldest father here today? Now, if he didn't, if he wasn't already standing, he would stand, my dad would stand at this time, at 92, as a great, as a father, grandfather, great-grandfather, he would stand, he's very proud of that. And he has, he has won that distinction now for almost the past decade. But I, I speak from having watched him, but also I want to share from my personal experience. If, and, and you say, well, why today? Well, it, you know, it is Father's Day, but, but why not next year, Pastor? You know, this, not be, this may be the last Father's Day I'll stand before you as a congregation. 
Or maybe some who are here today won't be here next year. I don't know. I don't question God's timing. But three things, three things I want to say. I want to say and support it from the Word of God. To those of you particularly, you young dads and prospective dads, I hope you'll listen with your heart. If I can share with you anything that I believe will help you to stay the course and be successful as a father, number one, I would say, the Lord is saying through me to say to you, be faithful. Be faithful. First and foremost, to God. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, 37, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. Dads, men, we can't point to the government. We can't look to other social officials to model this in our homes. If there's one thing that you can do that will help to lay a foundation for your family, for your relationship with your wife, with your extended family, is they need to not only see that you believe that, then, but that on a daily basis you are willing to live that. And there will be no question in the, minds of your, in the mind of your wife or in the minds of your children or grandchildren that the love of your life, number one, preeminently, without a shadow of doubt, is the Lord your God. And the priorities of your life reflect that. So number one, love the Lord and let them see it. So it's so evident they never question it. Be faithful to God in how you use your time and, 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 and in the priorities that you set and the way you invest your money. Let the love of the Lord prevail there. But then, close behind that, be faithful to your wife. I've conducted enough weddings and heard young people look at each other and exchange those vows through sickness, through health, through poor and wealth, you know, whatever, till death do us part. And some are doing a good job at that. But then some men have walked away from those vows. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives these very pointed words a command, if you will, to the fathers of the church on that day. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes is it just as the Lord does the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones men if there's one thing that your children need to see second behind your love for God is your love for your wife your love for their mother your love for their grandmother it ought to be so evident to them 
Because you see, having worked in social services primarily and and specifically in the area of protective services for children, I've seen fractured homes. I've seen unsecure homes, insecure homes. I've seen the look on the faces of children where the family has been fractured because a dad deserts his role by his wife's side or misuses or abuses his wife. Let me tell you something. If anything impacts a child's life, there it is. If you want to give your children security, let me tell you what you do. You let them see it every day that you cherish your wife, that you love her. Behind the Lord, she's number two in your life. You can't give a better gift to your children than the assurance of that. I said I make reference to my dad, O.C. Martin. That's what everybody calls him back home. It's Otha Charles. But O.C., he loved my mother. And for 63 years, they walked together as partners in marriage. Now, I'm not saying that every day they always agreed. And there wasn't a lovey-dovey, hanging-on-each-other, huggy-kissy kind of a relationship. But I'm going to tell you something. There was never a doubt in my mind as a young boy laying my head on my pillow at night that I felt secure because somehow I knew my dad loved my mom no matter what. And our family would be intact. And I could guarantee that. Until the day the Lord called her home, he was by her side. Oh, he misses her terribly. But there was no doubt in our minds that our dad loved our mom. Now, he picked at her and she'd get riled up from time to time, but that was just him. But they had a wonderful Christian marriage. And he exhibited that. I really believe that my dad, if he could have stepped into that room with the doctor diagnosing my mom with ALS, and if he could have stepped in there somehow and said, Doctor, give it to me. He would have done that. He would have taken her place and given his life for her. That's what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives. Be faithful to your wife. It's devastating to homes and to the church and to the culture around us when we see fathers abandoned in that responsibility to be there by the side of their wife. But then also be faithful to your children and grandchildren. They need you. God knew this was important from the very beginning as he established his covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. In chapter 6, in verse 6, God is speaking to the, the people of Israel and he's given these very specific instructions. And, and you know, you've got to understand that Israel, like most of the ancient nations, was a patriarchal nation. The father was the head. And so he's speaking, I believe, primarily to the fathers. And I believe that when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Listen, it needs to be abundantly clear to your children and even to your grandchildren if you're blessed to have access to them. 
that you live your life and your home is under the instructions of the word of God. And the Lord looks to the father, the grandfather, to do that. If we don't teach them, who's going to teach them? And shame on us dads when we relegate that responsibility to our wives. Every day, did you see what he said? When you're sitting down, when you're lying down, he didn't say sit on a sofa and get comfortable with a remote control in one hand and a drink in the other and, and, and shoo your kids out. Now I'm not saying you can't have some private time from time to time. We all need that downtime. But on a daily basis, our children need to see, our grandchildren need to see this lived out. That we are living our lives according to the instructions of the principles of the Holy Word of God. And you know, as Paul was writing to the family in Ephesians in chapter 6, he gives words of instructions to dads related to our children. You know, we must be faithful to love them. We must be faithful to instruct them from the Word of God, not some contemporary humanistic philosophy that, that might be popular at the time. They need to know the Word of God. And they need to know and love the Word of God. And they need to understand the Word of God. And they need to know how they can build their lives on these divine principles, eternal truths of God. And, and it's our responsibility to do that. Paul says to the Father specifically in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 4, And you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. How can you exasperate your children? How can you cause your children to be provoked to wrath? Be inconsistent. Say one thing and do another. Be a hypocrite. Tell them one thing and then you do something else. Profess to be a Christian and then act like a heathen. Oh, listen, you want to perplex and, and aggravate and stir up wrath in your children to the point that they will despise you. You just be a fake. And they'll see right through it. Don't try to discipline your children if you haven't, first of all, demonstrated to them that you love them. Unconditionally then you earn the right to administer the di discipline that every child needs. And discipline is an act of love. So first, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to your children. It's not that corporation you work for. It's not that company you work for that should be the number one priority of your life. Listen, God's not going to hold you accountable for the position that you held or how many degrees that you have, but I'll tell you what He will hold you accountable for when you stand before Him one day, and that is the relationship that you maintained while on this earth in your home. And the spiritual head of the family, of the, of, of, of the wife and the family, we have a great responsibility, and God doesn't give responsibility where He doesn't hold accountability. Be faithful. But then also, I would say to you, be fruitful. I love to see the nursery swelling with babies. Now, that's not what I'm really talking about, but I just had to throw that in because I made the ladies, particularly the younger ladies of our church, very nervous 
when I noticed we had an empty nursery several years ago and I started praying as I was prayer walking that hallway Lord fill up our nursery with babies and lo and behold they were falling like flies uh, one, one after the other said we're pregnant we're pregnant finally the ladies formed a coalition and came to me and said preacher please agree with us before you pray for babies consult us but I'm proud of every one of those precious, darling little babies that we've blessed. And now they're growing up and moving on through the toddler stage. Nothing wrong with being faithful. I mean, fruitful. I mean, I talked about O.C. Well, he and Nanny, my mother's name, they were blessed to have 11 children. So they were, they were fruitful in that respect. And, and so were a lot of other families in our area. It was just the, a fad. <laughs> But you know, something I thought about my dad this morning. I tried to call him, but he had already left to go to church. But you know, of those 11 children, eight of those are sons. Now, my, my daddy, my dad has, he, he has three girls that worship him, pamper him, and thoroughly spoil him. They are daddy's girls. So we have to treat them with... <laughs> kitten gloves but think about being a father of eight sons my dad got through the eighth grade he served in World War II as a young man came back and went to work farming the land hard work being a member of the church same church he's 92 same church. He served there as a deacon so many times it's almost, he says, isn't there another title you can give me? So they call him Deacon Emeritus. <laughs> but he's faithful. He's faithful to the church. But think about having eight sons and modeling. How do you, how do you convey to eight sons who are watching you on a daily basis. You understand as a farmer, our dad was around us. We were around him. And if it weren't in school, you better be around him. Not by the fishing hole. So you see, on a regular daily basis, he's professional Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and if they had anything else, we'd be there. But he's professing on those days to be a follower of God, a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he, on a daily basis, modeled that. I'm not saying my dad is perfect. He'd be the first to tell you he's not a perfect man. But I can stand here unequivocally and tell you today, without any hesitation, he is a man of God. He's not the most intelligent man on the earth. He's not the most finesse man on earth. He certainly is not the most fashionable man on earth. But I'm going to tell you something. If you know O.C. Martin, you know he loves the Lord. And he modeled that for me and for my eight brothers. Of the 11 children, the vast majority of us are actively involved in churches, serving the Lord. And that comes through parents who have taken the time. And so we as fathers and his grandfathers have a responsibility to model this and to be fruitful. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about bearing forth the kind of fruit 
that the Lord talks about. And by the way, even if you aren't a father, do you know something? You can adopt a child or children who aren't blessed to have a Christian dad in their, in their life. And you know what? I believe they would be tickled to have somebody that would just come alongside of them and be a fatherly role to them and to love them and to encourage them as a dad would do. And so there's a place for all of us. But you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and I realize he's talking here in verse 15. He's talking about the context of false prophets. But listen, you can apply this principle. He says in... in uh, Verse 16 of chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, can, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. To a degree, I'm not saying absolutely, contextually, specifically, but the principle of Jesus is saying there, if there's a good tree, then more than likely it's going to bear good fruit. And you and I have responsibilities, dads and granddads, for the kind of spiritual fruit that comes out of our lives. And that's the spiritual fruit that, that Jesus is talking about in John 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will bring forth much fruit. If you want to be fruitful, fathers, men, you've got to be in Christ. You can't bear forth the fruit that pleases God. And you say, was well, that important? Yes, Jesus went on in verse, 18, uh, verse 8 of chapter 15 of John's Gospel. And he says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so, if we expect to please God, we do it through investing our lives in those who are dependent upon us and through the abiding presence of the Spirit of God in us and through our root, constantly looking to and consulting and applying the principles of God's Word, we will, we will bear good spiritual fruit. And yeah, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a hard thing to grasp. If, if children are brought up and nurtured in the Christian faith and they see it and it's authentic and it's real and they see the benefits of it, you don't really have to twist their arms because you know what? My parents didn't twist my arm. They modeled it and then that day came when I realized, you know what? What my parents had, what my dad had, I want my children to have. And that's why I say when I see Tim as a father investing himself in his children and raising them up and training them of course with Heather's great help by his side it pleases my heart because my grandchildren are the fruit of that my dad invested 80 I would say of his 92 years in following Christ in modeling the Christian faith alongside of my mom and I believe we look now to see the fruit of that today and I urge you give thought to how you bear fruit for the Lord of course spiritual fruit is given to us by the Holy Spirit our children need to see evidence 
of the spiritual fruit in our lives. And I, you know, like I said at the beginning of the message, things that I'm saying to the men can easily be applied to the ladies. Because mom, your role, grandmother, your role, or godly Christian women, your role in the, in the presence of young people is so important because you don't know who's watching you, who's checking you out, who's looking to see if you are the real deal. And you set an example for them. And so we have that spiritual fruit that is in us. Love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Let them see the fruit of the Spirit of God so that they desire that. And then when they come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are themselves citizens of the kingdom of God, you have bore forth fruit. Listen, that's not the only fruit that should come out of our lives as far as people who are influenced towards Christ. But let me tell you something. It needs to start in the home. It needs to start in the home. And then as we go forth from there. And so as, as I consider that, be faithful, be fruitful, bear forth fruit, and let your household bear forth fruit for the glory of God. But then finally, finish well. Let the aspiration and the desire and the zeal of your life be as a godly man or a godly woman. Finish well. You say, well, if I invest the majority of my life or a good portion of my life being a good dad or a good grandfather or, you know, good mother, good grandmother, or, you know, then, you know, is it really important? It was to the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 6, I love these words. Paul is towards the end of his journey. He's towards the end of his life. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And, and you know, I, I, I can just imagine the excitement that's swelling up in Paul as he's writing. He says, For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day, on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Running the race of faith as a father, as a grandfather, as a great grandfather, and again, Ladies, running the race of faith is a grueling contest. It's not easy. Sometimes you're going uphill. Sometimes you're trying to go around obstacles. Sometimes you're facing hardships and storms that are coming. And yet you've got to keep your eyes on the mark, the goal of who you're running for. As Paul says, I press toward the goal for the call of Christ Jesus in God. And, and, and so run the race be determined not just to run good for a while, but be determined with God's help that you're going to finish well. Because let me tell you something, men. Those who have trusted you from the beginning of their life or the beginning of the marriage, and if they're blessed to be with you, they need to see you finish well. How absolutely tragic to see a man who started out really good following Christ and along the way took his eyes off of the Lord. 
took his eyes off of the Lord, chased after the entrapments of the world, or the lust of the flesh, or other things that, that are out there to, to distract them, and leave behind shattered marriages, disillusioned children, who then now become fodder for the devil's use or exploitation. You know, in the time that I've had a chance to serve as a pastor, you know, it's a glorious thing to be able to be a part of the life celebration of a saint. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saint. And God is calling home that, that individual, whether it's a godly grandmother, mother, great-grandmother, or godly father, grandfather, great-grandfather, but oh boy, what a wonderful thing it is to be gathered with the family, maybe there at the deathbed or subsequently after that. And you just hear testimony after testimony after testimony of those who loved and cherished that individual and said, you know, my dad was a good dad. He loved the Lord. And my grandpa, he, he was a faithful Christian. He loved the church. Oh, my, my, my husband, he was a prayer warrior. Till the day God called him home. His eyes were always on Jesus. We never had to wonder as to where he was leading us and what was the most important thing in his life. And what a joy for those who love you so much to be able to say he finished well. <laughs> he fought the good fight. It wasn't easy. Got a few hard punches along the way. Oh, he ran that race. Oh, he got tired. There were times when he was fatigued. There was time he could hardly put one foot in front of the other. But he kept on running. And he kept on running in the same direction. And he always had Jesus in his sight. I pray that with God's help one day my family will be able to say that to those who come to give them comfort and express sympathy in my passing in my life celebration. I pray that God will enable me to finish well. Not for just what it means to me as a Christian father or grandfather but what I know it can mean to my family. And I love them that much and I want that to be the case for me but I want it to be the case for every man in this church today. I don't know. I, I, I can't sit, stand here and profess to describe to you accurately why the Lord gave me this course change but I do have a sense of peace in my heart now. I can breathe a sigh of relief. I've said what I really believe God wanted me to say to you today. It may not make you a hill of beans to the majority of the folks here, but I'm going to tell you, if it will touch the heart and be a meaningful encouragement to one, then I will have accomplished what God intended for me to do today. Men, it's not easy being servants of the Lord and being 
expected to be his spiritual leader in our marriage, in our home, in, our, in the church. But that's the assignment God has given us. But here's the, here's the great hope. He never expected us to do it ourselves. In the darkest of times that I can remember, watching my dad lead us, our tribe, in the darkest of times, the memory that I always hold in my heart, and I tried to emulate to the best of my ability with my children, Laurie and Tim, the nights that I heard my dad, and I would be upstairs, laying in bed, knowing that things were hard. I heard him down there on his knees. And he was calling out to the Lord. Night after night. I didn't have to worry. I could go to bed and sleep. Because I knew my dad was following the one who was leading him. You see, he knew. And then subsequently I knew. And as a young father, my son knows. In this great calling, we're not alone. The Lord is with us. And He has promised to see us through. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you.